The New Testament reading for today is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though once we knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors on behalf of Christ. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. Thank you for the gospel of your son, Jesus. And I pray now that uh, the words of my mouth, that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. And we need your help now. So we ask for it through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're in the epiphany season now, which is, you know, that season in between Christmas and Lent that leads up to Easter. And so we're here in this epiphany season, uh, and our theme for the season is seeing through eyes of faith. It's a sermon series that Cindy got us started with last week as we thought about seeing God through eyes of faith, right? And Cindy helped us think through like, all right, if we don't start from a perspective of faith, um, but we simply then try to see God, imagine God, think about God, whatever, what are some of these other places we start from? And, you know, it started to sort of unpack, like, yeah, we start from our own projections from ourselves. We start from our own experiences of authority or whatever. And the, and the kind of God we come up with when we, when we begin from those places and try to reason from the ground up toward God, we get a very different view, a very different kind of God than the one we come to know when we begin with Jesus, which is if we're beginning to look on God through eyes of faith, what Cindy helped us think about last week was you have to begin with Jesus because this is where God has chosen to meet us where we are and then reveal who he is 
that God is like Jesus. And Jesus is the one who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus is the one who brings us the spirit of truth, who leads us into all truth and things like that. So we're talking about seeing through eyes of faith this epiphany. And, we're, and as we go through the sermon series, we're going to be looking at seeing different things. So we started with seeing God last week. And today we move on to seeing ourselves, seeing ourselves through eyes of faith. And I thought we might just start by reflecting on when we don't put on the glasses of faith before we look at ourselves, but we start from a different place. Where do we start and what do we do, right? Uh, Because if we're not starting with what God says about us, if we're not starting from a place of this God who reveals himself to us and then reveals us to us and leads us on a journey of basically locating our sense of self in his story, we start with other things. Where do we start? Well, probably, for many of us, we start with expectations, right? Uh, Whether it's your own expectations of what your life would be like, or whether it's expectations that you you know other people have for you, or whether it's expectations you imagine other people have for you or about you. And as we begin to do that, it sounds like this often. Where should I be by now? What, what's my life supposed to be like at this point? And of course, that's going to look and sound different depending on what point you are at, right, in your journey. If you're 25 and asking that question, it's going to be really different than if you're 65 and reflecting on that question or, or somewhere else. But this is, this is what it's like when we begin by understanding ourselves in light of expectations, right? And that that just sort of brings us into the comparison game where it's like, okay, where should I be by now? Should I be where they are? They're farther ahead or maybe they're farther behind than I am, right? As we begin to locate ourselves on this map of humanity and we measure ourselves against expectations, we measure ourselves against other people. We begin to understand our lives. We begin to evaluate ourselves in light of our accomplishments or our acquisitions or the acclaim that we experience in differing measure. Henry Nouwen famously said, as I have repeatedly quoted many a time, that there are three lies of identity that we all fall for all of the time. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people say about me. And we all believe these, right? Like we all fall for these all the time. I do, you do. And, and for some of us, or for probably for any of us, if you were just gonna like check in, there's probably one of those that's more powerful or more, more believable to you. Um, any one of, or, or maybe that there's one that's more believable on any given day. You might be drawn toward accomplishment more than wealth. You may be drawn toward fame or praise or affirmation more than those things. Whatever, however, however you are wired, whatever systems you inhabit, um, chances are, in one way or another, all three of those lies touches your life, and you believe it and fall for it in one way or the other. I sure do. And as we do that and begin to under, understand ourselves, evaluate ourselves, develop an identity or a, a, a self-image in light of what I do, what I have, what other people say, There's this dance that begins to happen between pride and shame, or it's more like a war, maybe, Um, a tug of war over your own soul and sense of self. 
Am I one of the good ones or am I one of the bad ones? Am I a winner or am I a loser? Am I, am I one of the right kind of people, one of the good ones, or am I one of the wrong kind of people that needs to be canceled? Where, where do I fit in all of this? And how do I understand myself, my location in this world and this large and diverse humanity? And how do I understand your place in it too? When we begin to understand ourselves from these other places, we end up in this sort of measuring, comparing thing where maybe I see myself as better than you. Maybe I see you as better than me. And that's going to profoundly impact the way that we're able to relate. It's going to profoundly affect the way that I think of myself, how defensive I might be versus open, how generous I might be versus stingy how willing I am to wade into complicated relational space versus how guarded I am and how much I'm like, I will not get hurt. These things affect all the stuff of life, right? And when we live in these ways, when we begin to understand ourselves through this struggle of shame versus pride as it, those fight sometimes in cooperative ways over our sense of self, I think what we begin to discover is that joy and love both become elusive in our experience of life in the world. Comparison, as they say, is the thief of joy. And so when we're living in this way where we're just measuring constantly and evaluating, joy over the gift that is your actual life and self becomes very, very difficult. And in the same way, when we're, when we're evaluating ourselves in light of others, when we're caught up in the comparison and the competition game, we can fail to love others well. Why? Well, because maybe if I'm, if I'm viewing myself as better than you, then maybe you're not worthy of my love and my time. Or vice versa. If you think you're better than me, maybe I'm not worth your love. Or if you need to see yourself as better than me, maybe a better strategy would be to put me down, to keep me in my place, to prop yourself up with that sort of defensive thing, the self-righteous thing, right? We, we do this. We know how this works. We know the game, Right? living out of this relational scarcity mindset when we live out of the pride versus shame tug of war over ourselves. It's like our love tank is running on empty and what we have to offer others is relatively small. And so we need to conserve, protect, defend all the things. And as we do that and we shore up our sense of self, by condemning others or propping ourselves up as we try to lift ourselves from the pit of shame by hiding or keeping others at arm's length, what happens is that we just settle for life in the shallow end of the pool and never really get to know the depth of the goodness of life in the world, of knowing one another and being known, of being securely attached to God and one another, of being full and being deployed in the world as agents of love who can give generously, who, who have the courage, the willingness to risk love. But God speaks a better word to us. God speaks a more definitive affirmation over us than your accomplishments do or that your wealth does or can or that other people's praise or condemnation of you can. God speaks a very different and much better word. And that's what we're here to consider today as we wonder, what does it look like? 
to see ourselves through eyes of faith and to allow God's sight of us to illumine what we see. I have four promise short points, and I'll give them to you all up front. When we begin to see ourselves through eyes of faith, we begin to see ourselves as creatures, creatures with a creator. Number two, when we begin to see ourselves through eyes of faith, we begin to see ourselves as beloved children of the Father. Number three, when we see ourselves through eyes of faith, we begin to see ourselves as reconciled sinners because of Jesus. And fourth, when we see ourselves through eyes of faith, we begin to see ourselves as, as new creation, as part of the great future of God and with a part to play in the here and now in light of that. Let's unpack that. You're a creature, which simply means in contrast to the great narrative of modernity, of the liberated self-made self, you're not self-made. God made you. God made me. And here's why that's profoundly good news. Your dignity, your beauty, your magnificence as a human being is not actually attached to what you've done, what you do today, what you have, what you've acquired, what you've lost, what other people say. It's just not attached to that. Your dignity, your beauty, your magnificence, God has not left that up to you to achieve it. He's simply given it to you to receive it. And you are, no matter what your story has included, no matter what baggage you bring, no matter what damage you've done, no matter what triumphs you've, you've achieved, you are a dignified, beautiful, magnificent creature of the creator who has made you to reflect the very likeness of God into the world, and you do. And so your worthiness for love, your worthiness for being treated with respect is not attached to anything that you've earned or lost. It's just simply inherent as your creator has endowed you with dignity. See yourself through those glasses and let it land because when you know that your dignity is a function not of your achievement, but of your creators. You can become a lot more secure in the world. You can become a lot more resilient around what other people might say or think. It's true. You're a dignified creature. You're also a beloved, a beloved child. We just read the passage from the gospel, Matthew, around Jesus being baptized. And we hear in that moment this affirmation of the Father, right? There's Jesus. He's in the water. And the, the heavens open. And the dove descends. And the voice of the Father is pronounced over this one. You are my beloved Son, and you am, I am well pleased. 
And as we read the story of the gospel forward and we begin to encounter the other teachings of the New Testament and, and, and the early church and all the unpacking, like what all this means, what we begin to recognize, this incredible reality, is that Jesus's unique sonship to the Father, in which he's anointed by the Spirit to be Son of God in, in the world, Jesus shares his sonship with us. There's another passage in Romans where we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's declared to be son of God in power by virtue of his resurrection. Jesus is brought into a, a particular kind of belonging in the family of God that then becomes shared with us. And in him, you become daughter, you become son of God. Not because you're good enough, not because you've avoided being too bad, not because you think the right kinds of thoughts, not because you've somehow successfully avoided thinking the wrong kinds of thoughts, but because the word of God speaks it over your life and makes it true. And you can't undo that. I'm sorry. You're not that strong. Your voice isn't that strong. Your failures aren't that strong. When the, when the voice of the Father is spoken over you, you are my beloved child. That's just bigger than you. That is so secure. And so we live in a secure attachment to the Father through Jesus as part of the divine family and recipients, participants in divine love. Which means that we don't have to live into the world anxiously trying to hold on to an attachment that may or may not be in jeopardy fretting over, am I thinking the wrong thing? Fretting over, am I going to mess this up? Fretting over, am I going to let my life get too close to the life of someone else who's not quite right? And this is, I'm, I'm just, I'm worried about my status with God. You don't have to worry. He holds you. The one who created the world and raises the dead holds you to himself and calls you my child. That's powerful. That's powerful. And when we begin to look on ourselves through eyes of that kind of faith, we begin to see like, wow, God is big. God is good. God does incredible things. I can stop freaking out about it. It frees us to, jo to have joy. It frees us to, to give love. It frees us to begin to live into the world like Jesus without being anxiously trying to hold on to something that's insecure or being avoidant of a God that may just be scary. But instead, we can be in that place, securely attached to the Father through Jesus, renewed in that family love, and deployed in the work of the family. Okay, so you're a creature with dignity. You're a beloved child who's securely attached to the Father. Third, when we begin to see ourselves through eyes of faith, we begin to see ourselves as reconciled sinners. Sinner's a harsh word. It's also a very useful word. Because it's the kind of word that it can be all religious. And if we, don't, if we don't unpack it, if we don't also have a broader vocabulary that can speak about our sinfulness with a, a variety of words that each get to different aspects of it, we can just sort of flatten sin into this weird religious category that we don't know what to do with. Or we just do this one very simple thing of asking God to forgive us for our sin and then we move on. The reality is the way that we are sinful is a profoundly complex reality and aspect of our humanity. 
Um, and there are things about it that require forgiveness. There are things about it that require healing. There are things about it that require all kinds of courageous turning away from darkness and hard things and toward others. But here's the point. Sinner is a useful word because when we take it to ourselves, we, we end up in a space of sincerity and depth where it's not like mistakes were made, right? You know those apologies. The mistakes were made. A way to acknowledge something needs to be said, but I don't want to own it. And the reality is that we don't get to know the depth and power and the love of God until we begin to really take ownership of the places in our lives where it's most needed and most difficult to give. And when you begin to see those realities about yourself, not as the starting point, as if you have to know the good news of your brokenness before you can know the good news of God's love, you don't. Nobody does. You begin to know the goodness of God's love first, and it's in the light of his love, as you're already held, that you can begin to look on the deep complexities of your life and go, whoa, this love is more incredible than I knew. But we grow in that over a lifetime as we come to know ourselves as sinners. We come to know ourselves as beloved in in, in a deeper and more complicated and more beautiful way. But you were dignified first. And you were loved from the beginning. And so we come to see ourselves as reconciled sinners. And this passage that we just read from Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he's talking about how Jesus did the work that was needed for God to hang in long-term relationship with us, right? You're dignified, you are beloved, and at the same time, you and I have lived in all kinds of ways that are away from God, against one another, harmful to ourselves, harmful to other people. That's true, and there's not a person in this room, there's not a person in the world for whom that's not true. And where that's important is because when you and I are living out of seeing ourselves through some sort of worldly comparison game, expectations, the self-made person, things like that, we think we need an affirmation that sounds like this. Don't worry. You're not broken. You're beautiful just as you are. The you're beautiful just as you are part is true for every one of us and everyone in the world. And we lean into that wholeheartedly. But the message of don't worry, you're not broken is cold comfort. It, 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 doesn't, it just doesn't tell the truth about the reality of our lives. The problem is we live in such a fractured society where we've drawn the lines based on we can only embrace you if you're the right kind of person. If you're the wrong kind of person, you get canceled or you get put in these other groups. And so we live in this fractured society and the church has followed suit. So we don't even know what that looks like. To believe in a grace that says grace will meet you exactly where you are and grace will not leave you where it found you. Because just as our society has gone the way of affirming you exactly as you are and therefore you don't need to change, the church has followed suit and has drawn the lines in the exact same places. And you know what we've lost? The beauty of the goodness and the power of the love of God. We don't condemn anyone. We will embrace everyone. And we want to invite 
into an open-ended, transformative journey. Everyone, which is what I hope you are doing for me, because I am a broken, sinful person who needs to change. And so are you. The good news is that's not all I am. That's not even what's most fundamentally true about who I am. What's most fundamentally true about who I am is that I'm a dignified creature. I'm a beloved child of God. I'm also a reconciled sinner because of Jesus and because God is the kind of God who's willing to do all the heavy lifting and all the hard work to actually be in relationship with me and not let that hang on my ability to opt in. Yet the truth is I'm far from the wholeness for which I was made. I'm on a journey. And I actually don't know all of the things that need to change about me. And that's true of you too. That's true of every single person in the world. And God's love is big enough and good enough to touch us in those particular places. Where we get in trouble is when we start trying to like micromanage everyone else's journey. And so we become the kind of people that are like the opposite of what we're trying to be as we do this. We gotta let God be God who brings us on the journey. But the journey is a journey of transformation for reconciled sinners who are now, fourthly, also new creation. When Paul writes, he says, behold, you know, where if anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. It's this picture of this, not just like you as an individual, you as an individual, it's like now you're a new thing. It's that there's a realm, new creation, that is the future of God's promised world. It's a future in which peace and goodness and wholeness and health and life and justice, all of that flourishes and lasts forever. The good stuff wins, the sad stuff goes away, and we get to live in it with God forever. And where the spirit of God is, there is the new creation. And so what Jesus has done is he's actually paved the way, he's opened the door, he's made it possible for God to pour out the spirit. The spirit is here, the spirit's in you, and we are experiencing new creation. We're embodying new creation. We're called to manifest new creation and cultivate it through this spirit of God who is here and in us. And so this pathway then that opens up that goes forward is this pathway Jesus leads us in, which is to, by the power of that very spirit, to start turning from the selfish ways, turning from the dark ways, turning from the self-made self kind of modern person ways, turning from the stingy withholding of love kind of ways, turning from the condemning ways, turning from the prideful, have, we have all the right answers and you got to get on board with us if you're going to be okay in the world kind of ways. And laying those things at the feet of Jesus and saying, okay, we're going to follow you into the future that will come because God keeps his promises. And as we follow you into that future, as we take next steps, we're going to do things here and now that will be the next right step on that journey. And we're going to trust you, O Holy Spirit, to give us what we need for that journey, to follow Jesus. And when Paul describes the journey for the apostles, he talks about it as a ministry of reconciliation. And he talks about it as being ambassadors of that future world. Reconcilers and ambassadors. It's a beautiful vision for how the apostles are understanding their own thing. And as they're talking with the church in Corinth, how they're like trying to appeal to like what they're doing is legit. But it's also a beautiful vision for how do we live in the world when we're beginning to see ourselves through eyes of faith? What do we do? 
We're reconcilers and ambassadors of a world made right. We practice it together. We share it with others. Sharing life in the spirit, following Jesus into the future. I promised I'd be short. I think I've already failed to to come through on that. But let me just say this. There are a million ways we can unpack what this means, right? And I would commend to you Chris Messick's class tonight as a great place to start unpacking. Because where this gets to is how do we use our agency in the world when we start to see ourselves through eyes of faith? And where Chris is going to go with his talk, he's giving me thumbs up from like the Holy Spirit rafters over there, the balcony where he lurks. Um, Where we go with that has to do with everything that we do all day long. It's really just how you use your power in the world, how you use your agency, how you use your hands and your feet and your words and your brain and your output to do anything, right? From changing diapers to changing the world. So um, not that those are disconnected, but that's the point. And the point is this is relevant for you no matter who you are, how old you are, or what you do. So come start getting into the conversation tonight and as you hear me close now, the one word or one sentence sermon that I hope you heard, when you see yourself through eyes of faith, you see yourself as God's beloved. Right? I said four things, creature, beloved child, reconciled sinner, new creation. So you can have a complicated sentence if you like lists. But if you want something shorter, you are loved. See that. Rest in that. Let that land. Because that is really, really good news. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. Thank you for the particularity of your care and your scandalous generosity toward each and every one of us as we begin to open up the realities of our our interior and exterior lives. And we just see your willingness to be with us in all of the beautiful and broken realities about who we are. And we pray that you would do something marvelous among us as you remake us in the likeness of Jesus. Would you Give us your spirit and actually help us to believe that first and foremost, before anything else, we are loved by you. And as we rest in that, would you help us to take the next steps of faith so that we might actually be living out of that reality as those who love you and love others in your name? That's our prayer. And we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.